Uh, good evening, and uh, welcome to A6NZ's Clubhouse Room to cover the future of bio and healthcare very broadly. We're going to have a loosely discussed, uh, a structured interactive discussion. And uh, for those who might not know me, I'm Vijay Pandey, the founding general partner of the bio group at A6NZ. And with me are my, uh, actually today, we, uh, fellow uh, GP colleague, Vinita Agawala. And actually, Jorge and Julie are off this week and hopefully enjoying some time off uh, with their families. Uh, today, our special guest is Dr. Ben Oaks, uh, co-founder and CEO of Scribe, so, Scribe Therapeutics. So for those who don't know, Scribe has, uh, is a biopharma company that is using molecular engineering techniques to build uh, one of the most advanced platforms for CRISPR-based genetic medicine. So uh, Ben got his PhD from UC Berkeley, where he worked with David Savage and Jennifer Downa. And a lot of that work was a foundation for Scribe, which we're going to hear about. But uh, actually, even before then, he was working uh, in a lab at Princeton on endonucleases, so gene editing from very early on. So, you know, maybe I'll throw out the first question here. You know, uh, given that really exciting, interesting background, it sounded like you decided to work on gene editing super early. It must have happened very early in your career. How did all that come about? Yeah, actually, uh, it, it, it's been about a decade now, actually, believe it or not. Um, my background, uh, so my background starts out, I think, like many of us, um, in the biotechnology industry, in a PhD program. Um, I thought I was going to be a doctor. I thought I was going to go do the MSTP, MD, PhD, for, for those of you who are familiar with it. Um, even, so, even so far as uh, going so far as to take the MCATs and actually start shadowing doctors during my undergrad, actually at, at Colby. Um, and in that process, I think, you know, like many people, you start to realize what medicine is, and especially at that point in time, about a decade ago, right, when, what medicine was and, and what it wasn't. Um, and in rural Maine, uh, in the emergency room in particular, I was watching and working with a lot of medical professionals where stabilization of just the obvious symptoms was, was the goal. Um, and that actually, unfortunately, at that point in time, um, was a lot of prescribing opiates. Yep. Yeah, and and so that 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 was a that was a really kind of an eye-opening experience for me. I mean, I had had some doubts about the medical profession even earlier than that. I have celiac disease, which is uh, autoimmune disease to gluten, and it, it took over a year um, of many different doctors telling me I had a sensitive stomach yeah. uh, for them, them to diagnose that. So I, I think that was the final straw for me. And in undergrad, I had been a double major in philosophy and neurobiology, and that kind of that background allowed me to take a step back and say, okay, the philosophy background really had me self-analyzing quite a bit at that time. <laughs> yep. Um, and I took a step back and I said, what do I really want to do? And what I really wanted to do was, was get at the underlying cause of disease. And it was obvious that medicine wasn't going to get me all the way there um, at that point in time. So even though I had taken the MCATs, even though I had started writing essays and everything, I put that all aside and I said, look at I am going to go become a technician before I potentially go to grad school. And I'm going to see if that's the right way to do this. Mm -hmm. um, and I was yeah. fortunate. Yeah. So I was fortunate enough actually at that point in time to apply for a number of um, positions. I, I don't know if anyone remembers that was 2011. 
um, and uh, biofuels were all the rage. So I think yep. I applied to like, and I, I've talked with Shree about this, but I think I've applied to like three or four um, algal and or bacterial biofuel companies and, a, and a, then a lab at Princeton University that was engineering zinc pure nucleases. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was, I was fortunate enough to get into that lab at Princeton University with a, a fellow, actually, a, a Lewis Sigler Integrative Genomics fellow by the name of Marcus Noyes, um, who was engineering zinc pure nucleases in a lab of three people, just three. Uh, actually, <laughs> at that point in time, it was two. Too. Yeah. Yep. And um, I joined that lab and started working on what, um, if if people are familiar, is version one genome editing, uh, the version one genome editing modalities, which is ZFNs. Well, um, and so, and it sounds like that was it really the sort of biofuels was the the kind of the draw, and that the in the nucleases the gene editing was kind of a means towards that end. Well, so no, biofuels, I should uh, I should have drawn a little bit more uh, drag there. So biofuels was one thing I was super excited about, as was, I think, the whole world. And on the other side was this really unpopular technology called ZFNs that, that no one was really focused on, um, at least in the, the world of synthetic biology, where I was, where I was kind of, you know, uh, very in, enthralled with at that point in time. Hmm. Um, and so for me, it, it was it was like this real fight between what should I really focus on doing? And I, I kind of, as, as always, as you'll, you know, as we've talked about many times, came back to my roots and said, look, it, the goal is to treat the underlying cause of disease. Let's go to genome editing technology. I think that's the way to do that. If biofuels work out, there'll be opportunities in the future. Of course, where we are today. Um, yeah, no, I you think, made the right choice. Very I, think, uh, I think justifies the fact that yes, genome editing is the fundamental technology that really enables most things. So yeah, yeah. Well, so let's fast forward a bit. So you get your so you, you, you cut your teeth on endonucleases, working in a lab, being a tech at Princeton, and then you apply to grad school. Uh, were you thinking gene editing? Is this like a you know? So often when we retell sort of founder stories, especially people who've been successful, it seems like a very straight line. But uh, was it straight, or, or 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 what? What gets you to Berkeley? Oh yeah. Um, so. Um, I hate to disappoint, but it was the straightest line you could possibly imagine. So I, need to give, <laughs> I need to give a little bit of background on ZFNs, though, if everyone will indulge me to kind of tell you why. Yeah. But um, so for those who are not familiar, zinc finger uh, nucleus technology is technology that was really actually developed in the 90s um, by a number of really fantastic scientists who realized that hooking up bacterial endonucleases to actually transcription factors from the human genome could retarget these endonucleases. Um, and it stood as essentially the one programmable nucleus technology from the mid nineties all the way through the first decade of the 2000s. Um, it was the only way to target a, a location in the human genome. And even so, they're incredibly difficult to engineer. So engineering a ZFN or zinc finger nucleus requires you to engineer one of the subunits, which binds three base pairs of DNA. Now, in order to get specificity in the human genome to cut a single site, which is once again what genome editing is, you actually need to bind uh, on average about 18 base pairs of DNA. So in order to actually build a zinc finger nucleus, you need to engineer um, at least six different zinc finger nucleases. Now, the crux of this is 
that in order to do so, the only way to do so really is to do so empirically. So you have to build a library of a billion different molecules, then select that library empirically for a single target to get three base pairs of specificity. And then you have to do that again and again and again. And actually that was my goal. That was my goal as a technician in this lab, in Marcus's lab at, at Princeton, um, was, was really running all of these screens and selections, building these libraries and doing this iteratively. But what you find out is that when you hook one zinc finger up to another, very often they break. So then you have to select two zinc fingers together. And I, oh man, right? Like I think many of us right out of college had has lots of energy or had lots of energy, I should say. And I was banging my head against this problem, 90 hours a week, 80 hours a week, just time and time again, doing selection after selection to try to find the perfect zinc finger nuclease protein. To, or I should say, actually not the perfect zinc finger nuclease protein, but the perfect zinc well, finger nuclease hey. protein for every target. Yeah. Well, and there, there's an important part of the story here because you're talking about what you had to do very manually. And I think uh, if, yeah. if this was if this was a novel, we're, we're early chapters foreshadowing the future here, aren't we? Oh, absolutely. I mean, and this is it, right? I spend two years doing this. We did over ten thousand selections, each selection having over a billion molecules. So you can see why about a year and a half into it, when Jennifer comes along yep. and says, "Hey, world." I should say, you know, Jennifer, Emmanuel, Martin, Christoph. Show, yeah. And by, show, by Jennifer, show. you're talking about Jennifer down at, at Berkeley. Yeah, that's correct. Um, when, when Jennifer published this, that seminal work in, in 2012, um, I'm sitting there, you know, probably half asleep at my desk trying to, trying to read through this. I get really excited first about the fact that bacteria have an adaptive immune system, which is just kind of really neat. And then I realized that everything that I was doing, everything, could be boiled down to 15 minutes on a computer redesigning an RNA. Yep. And there, there you go, straight line. It was, yep. it, it couldn't have been clearer, yeah. Well, so when did you have that realization though, that basically th that design, that engineering aspect could kick in? <laughs> I, the second I read that paper, I turned to Marcus, yeah. I said, Marcus, you'll never believe this. There's a bacterial system that uses an RNA to do everything that we've been trying to do. Yeah. And he just looks at me, he goes, Ben, I'll never work and walks away. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's the way the best science usually starts, right? Yeah, yeah. And, and it was like, it was so crystal clear the second I read that publication in science um, that I, I knew right then that I had to go work on this because it, it, I mean, it basically meant boiling down everything that I had done over the past two years, literally, literally to 15 minutes on a computer designing something. Hmm. Um, so it was crystal clear to me that I had to go to grad school um, you know, of course I applied everywhere um, and I was fortunate enough to have many opportunities, but the, the call, the sirens call of CRISPR-Cas9, I could not resist. Yep. And, and just to put this historically, so this is where CRISPR was already kind of, Cas9 was already a thing, right? So Jennifer had discovered Cas9 and demonstrated that it could cut DNA. And then about six months later, you know, a number of labs across the world demonstrated that it could cut DNA in um, in a, a human cell. And right. that, at that point, I had already applied to grad school, and I was already actually in discussions with um, with with Jennifer and with Dave. So it was like I I applied in that in between when you know Cas9 was discovered, and people knew it was working, and I, I was already committed to it. Yeah.
Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Okay. Okay. So you start working in the lab and what was that experience like? I mean, uh, mm. uh, I mean, there's obviously Berkeley versus, you know, new universities are different. Uh, labs are different. I mean, you're actually also in two labs, right? I mean, how did, yeah. what was that like? Yeah. So, I mean, the interesting thing is that because of my molecular engineering background, my background engineering is in three new places. I specifically knew that I wanted to come in and essentially apply all of that energy that I was spending on finding a targeting, you know, finding a site within the human genome with the ZFN, but instead apply that to Cas9 to build new versions of this enzyme to do interesting things or useful things. And in order to do that, I wanted to make sure that I had a second mentor besides Jennifer, who was obviously the inventor of, of Cas9 and CRISPR-Cas9. And that second mentor was Dave Savage. And Dave is a really interesting uh, PI at UC Berkeley as well, right? 50% of his lab works is, works on a bacterial organelle or a, basically a bacterial uh, system that fixes carbon in cyanobacteria, pulls carbon out of the air. Yeah. And, you know, is, is something that I never would have thought I would have ever had any ex exposure to. Um, but the other 50% of his lab focuses on building new ways of engineering molecules. And thinking about protein evolution in a very different way than I had with, with inferior nucleases, which is rather than making every change in a very small space, which is combinatorial cassette mutations, yeah. Yeah. Actually, actually making changes across the entire protein, taking domains from other proteins, basically making chimeras out of proteins. Yeah. Um, and that, that's what Dave was focused on. So I brought that, uh, those ideas to Jennifer's lab. And I brought all of CRISPR to Dave's lab and kind of sat in between the two, trying to build entirely new CRISPR-Cas9 enzymes that could accomplish things that they were, had never evolved to accomplish. Benita, do you have a question you want to jump Well, on? I was just going to I don't want to steal your punchline, Ben, because now, you know, as you as you approach Scribe, all of this will, will make so much sense and feel feel almost prescient. But how did you, can you double click on how you really kind of decided to straddle that interface and and think about engineering mm. the Cas molecule in the first place? Like, how, at the, you know, most PhD students... Um, you know, I would say aren't quite thinking about that when they're thinking about where to do a rotation and what project to to start. Was it informed by your survey of an emerging biotech landscape? Was it informed by, you know, kind of your inklings around which diseases you wanted to be able to impact? What was mm. the what was the motivating factor to position yourself at that interface? At that interface. So it's a you know, Vanita, it's a great question. And what I, the it's it's the answer is actually it, it all has to come back to that lab at Princeton in Marcus Noyes's lab, working on zinc theory nucleus engineering. Um, I, and I, I can't stress this enough. That is so hard. It is so hard to do the the type of protein engineering manually, as VJ says. You know, essentially involves testing billions of molecules, molecules, scraping plate after plate, sequencing prep after prep. You have to. I had to essentially generate a sense of commitment in my mind that genome editing was truly going to be worth it. Otherwise, I mean, I'm sure many scientists are, can, can, can relate to this, but otherwise you just can't do it. Like you can't spend 90 hours in a lab unless you deeply, deeply believe in it, right? And so that 
that really solidified my belief that genome editing was going to enable pretty much all the technologies in the future. So then when that targeting problem, that programmability problem was no, was no more, I mean, grad school coming in between, between Dave and Jennifer, that was like so free. I could engineer anything. Oh my God. <laughs> well, and and where, where is that feeling? Like, where does that come in? Like that's in early or in late? Like, cause that's a, that's such a paradigm shift for just bio in general. And, uh, and I'm curious, is that like also not just where it is in your timeline, but are your lab mates feeling the same way? Is like Berkeley bio feeling that same way? Or is like, is it just you? Like, what is this? Um, I think that was just me. Um, and I don't want to, I don't want to, you know, try to say that I'm special or anything, but I, no, you know, I mean, by the way, you could have been totally wrong. So you could have yeah. been special in a bad way. Oh, no. In a bad way. Right. That's totally true. Yeah. I mean, I think it was, I think it was, it was, it was a conviction that I generated engineering zinc for nucleases to, to get me through the day. Um, and it was one that I had really deep faith in and belief in, um, that, that engineering and being able to build the future that you wanted was going to be so important. And then bringing that, I mean, honestly, by the time I was coming into grad school, it was just so natural for me to think that way, that there was really no other way for me to, for, to do it. And, and that may be unsatisfying, but I just had to. Yeah, well, no, that makes sense. So, and, and, and this is kind of near the beginning. So maybe it's useful, especially since everyone knows where we're going to land on Scribe. Where does, where, where, when do you start thinking like this could be interesting to do as a company? Is that like at the very end? Is that near the beginning? Like how does, how are you navigating that versus all the things you could do? I mean, you could go, you could have been yeah. a professor right now too. I mean, there are yeah. a lot of opportunities obviously coming out of Jennifer's lab. Yeah, I think it was something that we had always joked, joked around with, with zinc finger nucleases um, in, in Marcus's lab as well is like, Sangwa was the only company that knew how to do this. We knew how to do it as well. Why don't we just go start our own company? So it, it, it got started early. I mean, I think the other thing that I should say is that there's not a single scientist or medical professional in my entire family. Everyone is in business um, uh, of some sort. And so you're the black sheep then. Yeah, <laughs> strangely. Um, strangely. Well, you found, you found your way to a business, Ben. So. <laughs> this is true. This is true. <laughs> it, it is. And I, I think, I think, I mean, especially, you know, uh, my mom who's been running large organizations, um, for as long as I've been alive, I think, um, it has always put the idea in my mind that building organizations of people who are, who are really dedicated to doing something is always the best way to go about doing it. And then you layer that on top of the fact that, I mean, academic science has been going through changes or you know has been going through a, a, a period of time where maybe going and becoming a professor is is more difficult um and that was kind of evident ever since going to grad school so you know going towards the pragmatic end of things um was always high up on my priority list and mm -hmm. you know it was kind of natural yeah yeah, yeah. No, that makes sense. That makes sense. So, but it was natural. So, where does it come in? Or is this like day one, or is this like near the end? Like, how are you, where do you start making this switch? I mean, since since the beginning, since the very beginning of grad school, I'd say, you know, first year of grad school for those who don't know is usually a rotation period where you, you work with a number of different professors. I worked with Jennifer during one rotation, 
and we we demonstrated how to get Cas9 to bind to RNA with a number of fantastic co-authors, um, Mitch O'Connell uh, being one, who is now a professor at uh, Rochester. Um, and we were talking about it even then, um, you know, the possibility of it. It yep. became real for me. It became like, <laughs> go, no, go. We're, we're doing this or not. Um, when, you know, I had been also speaking with Jennifer quite a bit throughout my PhD about the desire to maybe go and do something pragmatic, to do something mm -hmm. that actually has an impact um, on, on yep. medicine with this. Yep. And she was always saying, you know, look at, I've always really wanted to start an, uh, an entrepreneurial fellows program at the Innovative Genomics Institute. And it, it collided in that, you know, my, in my third year of graduate school, um, the entrepreneurial fellows program actually got its first round of funding. Yep. Um, and I was able to apply for it. And I was fortunate enough to be one of two fellows to be chosen um, to, to kind of start my own lab at Berkeley with the goal of starting a company. So and, by the way, that is where I want to go next. But right before we shut the door on grad school, yeah. I, I want to just get one take because uh, you, you got a special treat to be like in the, you know, one of the centers of the CRISPR <laughs> universes, doing mm -hmm. one of the most interesting times for CRISPR, doing one of the most interesting times for engineering biology. Uh, what was it like to be there in Jennifer's lab, David's lab uh, in Berkeley during all of this stuff? Like, just what, like, let, uh, sort of let us be a fly on the wall for like, what it was like, you know, what was your experience like? Mm. It's a good question. And there's so many different answers. I mean, at one level, the I thought that I was moving hard and fast to engineering zinc-pyranucleases, but there's nothing like waking up every day to read a new paper on something similar or yep. near what you're doing to motivate you and everyone around you. Well, and meaning um, just the high level of competition, just the huge sort of ecosystem of everyone working on Cas9 and Cas13 and whatever. Like just, yep. just the whole, that, that, and cause that's interestingly what artificial intelligence and machine learning is like right now too. Like you wake up and there's like a paper a week that normally would have been an advance that take place in years. Sort of yep. thing. I mean, absolutely. Back then it was PubMed, right? And like now it's now BioArchive, right? But yep. it was PubMed every morning into my inbox, wake up 6.30 yeah. in the morning, look at my phone. Okay, did we get scooped today? We didn't get scooped today. That's good. Let's keep going. Yeah. Um, yep. And so I know both myself and many others, you know, I was fortunate enough to be at this, this to have a really kind of unique take on engineering these enzymes. Um, yep. And therefore we were never gonna get scooped directly. Um, we were always gonna get kind of, uh, someone was gonna have an idea that was similar, but definitely wasn't the exact same. But I had many colleagues who, you know, working on structures of these enzymes, working on biochemistry of new enzymes, who, it was just a constant, um, you know, foot race to make sure that the best science was put out there first. Yeah. Um, and that's an interesting environment to be in. Um, I think it's important. I think, I think it, it, you know, it, it, it is an important race to be in because that is the science that has enabled all of the technology that we stand on today. And, mm -hmm. you know, something that we do think about a lot at Scribe is that many people are waiting for this technology to be brought forward. So yeah. while you're, while, during it, it, it is an incredibly stressful time. Um, I think 
the power behind the entire world coalescing on these ideas is is a thing of beauty as well. Yeah. Do you, is there anything you would do differently about that time period? Like uh, it's again, things always look so clean in hindsight, but <laughs> when when you're in the middle of it, nobody knows what's going to happen, and it's everything seems like every little disaster, every little mistake seems like a disaster, and so on. Yeah. When you're in the big when you're in the big game uh like uh, uh and not everything works right so uh, yeah anything oh, yeah. any advice to like future use i want to be walking in your footstep um yes absolutely uh there's a couple things one really technical thing if you're going to do an experiment that's really important and you're going to don't ever do it as a pilot don't ever do pilot experiments just do the real thing because you you may you you may try to go back to it and it may not work um, mm -hmm. in the way you want it to, especially in engineering, because um, there's so much uh, there's so much diversity in a lot of the engineering that we and I know many others do, that finding the same thing again can be sometimes be difficult. That would be number one. And number two is is truly <laughs> if you can be doing something that's that's distinct enough, like we were with our topological engineering of these enzymes, basically rearranging them, doing domain insertion, building entirely new versions of Cas9 that can sense and respond to the environment of the cell. Um, it's okay to relax a little bit. It's okay to recognize yeah. that you are doing something that is totally unique. And if that's the case, if you're building things that are truly unique, you're, you know, you're gonna be okay. I think I was more worried about similar stories than I needed to be. Um, yeah, 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 interesting. Well, let's move on. So you, you mentioned, uh, you know, the, being a fellow uh, and especially you're associated with the uh, innovative genomics institute at berkeley um mm -hmm. so you're basically like doing something which is unusual and that it looks like you're building a lab which looks very mm -hmm. academic but it looks like you're building a startup and it looks like you're incubating in a university and i think the answer is like yes to all of that right mm -hmm. yeah 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 it was it is so it's, it's very interesting because you know as i mentioned i started out in a fellow's lab at the integrative, the Lewis Sigler Institute for Integrative yeah. Genomics at Princeton. At Princeton, yes. And now I'm back as a, you know, not 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 a not a technician, but now as a fellow at the Innovative Genomics Institute. You know, I think yes. there's a lot of eyes in these names. I gotta figure that out. But um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's you could have added some extra eyes and describe we would have been fine. Something like that. Yeah. S C R I I. Yeah. Yeah. Um, something like that. But. It's so it is a very interesting type of position that there are very few of, and even yeah. less so. I think the Innovative Numbers Institute, as far as I know, is kind of the only thing that looks like what it does. So mm -hmm. there are other fellows positions where you're essentially you have enough funding to kind of build a small lab and go after a very specific set of ideas. Yeah. And but I and really, really though, are you really building a lab or are you really building a company? It sounds like you're building a lab. Well, so in like that's what normal fellows positions are about building that small lab. The yeah. Innovative Genomics Institute Entrepreneurial Fellowship, it, you are building a lab, but you also know that unlike a normal fellows position, which is like usually five years, um, you have a year with the possibility of renewal. Yeah. And you have to turn, and the goal of that fellowship is to turn into a company. So it's an entirely different, um, yeah. it's an entirely different set of calculus, right? Okay. That's really interesting because um, I think that's fairly unusual to have a setup like that. Uh, 
I don't know. Yeah. I haven't seen it. Yeah. I can't. I, I can't think of another one like that. So that's and and so you're building it. And you know, when for people who haven't been academics, building a lab is building a team, writing papers, doing research. Building a company is hiring people to you know build a technology, build a product. But I guess in the early days, the two could look similar. And what's interesting is that usually there's this chasm between. Um, you know, we have some things to do that are R&D, so it's not ready for venture funding, but this isn't exactly typical, pure basic research. And it sounds like you're kind of working in that interface uh, and you're prepping for what you're, you're working on ProScribe, basically. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we we were, it wasn't even ProScribe, it was Scrat. Um, okay. Because I think the thing that is so powerful and also so terrifying and, and important about the IGI uh, fellowship is that it's a year or with the possibility of a second year, right? That's yeah. so little time. I mean, it yeah, takes six yeah, months no, to build a lab. That's right. That's right. That's right. Okay. And like, so what we were doing, so what I did, so, you know, and, and this is, this is the origin story of Scribe now is, um, at the beginning of the EFP, I knew that we had to be exceptionally serious from the very start. I also knew what working in a, a fellow's lab looked like and that it was going to be an incredible amount of work. Now, luckily, I had developed already uh, like an amazing rock star team of, quite frankly, undergrads yeah. who had been working with me in Dave and Jennifer's lab. Um, you know, some of the, you know, some of the brightest individuals um, who I could have ever hoped for. Um, Kean Taylor, Hannah Spinner, um, and Kat were, were all undergrads who were working with me and were either still at Berkeley or were just about to graduate. And I was able to leverage that, organi you know, that organization that we had already kind of built together, working on engineering Cat's mind and apply it now to this new mission that came about when myself and Dave and Jennifer sat down um, with my fourth co-founder, uh, who I haven't mentioned yet, Brett Stahl. Um, and really asked ourselves about everything we had been doing for the past five years on Cast 9. And rather than doing engineering for the sake of engineering or doing engineering for the sake of building new and exciting tools like I had been doing during graduate mm -hmm. school, let's get serious. Let's actually talk about what the future of genetic medicine could look like and really should look like. And then let's try to figure out what we need to build to make that happen. Yeah, and that, so, so yeah. that's the planning of Scribe. That's the planning of Scribe. And we sat down literally around a small circular table in Dave's office that today would, you know, most of you would be aghast at how close we were sitting together. Um, yeah, uh, I, I've seen, I've been in <laughs> academic offices. Uh, yeah. <laughs> cr crowded out by the books and the bookcases uh, often too. Um, exactly. Yeah. So, okay, so you plan to do Scribe, and I, I know this a bit because this is where I come in. And so, uh, and just to keep things moving along, you um, you go out, you raise an A, uh, uh, Andreessen Horowitz leads the A, I, I lead the A, you, uh, I go on the board, and you're building the company. Uh, I think, you know, it's interesting to think about, you know, your first key hires. And I think well, maybe we'll uh, get her to come up in a little bit. So that Lana, I think, is a great example of, uh, what I viewed as a key hire for Scribe. And I'd love to get your take on thinking about like now you're shifting from technology and science and so on into the world of business. 
you know, how did you think about key hires like, you know, BizDev and so on? Uh, and uh, how did you build out the rest of, of your team in those like days between, let's say, the Series A and where you are now? Yeah, I mean, I think it was it was another thing. It was, it was something that was top of mind, right? In, in, in terms of what were the skill sets that me and my co-founders had? We were exceptionally good technology developers. Um, and I, we knew that. And at the same time, we had a number of connections in industry, but we didn't know explicitly how to take advantage of them. Um, or we didn't know the pathway, right? There are, there, are, there are laid out paths to that. And so the very first thing, I mean, BJ, right, that we sat down and talked about was like, okay, let's get someone who, who we can, who can really be a thought partner and help us think about how we can essentially monetize certain parts of this business or, or essentially derive some value out of certain parts of this business and accelerate our ability to, to bring forward the technologies that we're building. Um, yep. And that was, uh, that was a process that we started, I would say on day two, you know, maybe week two of Scribe actually becoming operational uh, out of the Entrepreneurial Fellowship and, and took us probably about six months to find the right person. Um, but we were fortunate enough to find Svetlana who has been working closely with us uh, ever since then. Yeah. And uh, this is almost like that old TV show, uh, uh, This Is Your Life or something like that. And now look at here, uh, there's Svetlana. Uh, maybe we'll bring, bring, bring her in, uh, maybe uh, into the, when we open up the discussion, like five minutes or so. Uh, but like, uh, uh, and, you know, so now you're, 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 you're a company, you're building things and, what was that transition like? You know, any, uh, and, you know, we've got five minutes left. I want to try to squeeze the most I can to help sort of the next generation following in your footsteps. You know, like what are the things, for example, like in that transition from academia to company, from company to deals, from deals to series B, which we'll get to, uh, you know, like what were the, 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 the things you wish you knew, the, the, the things that worked the hard way that, uh, you know, that you do differently? And maybe, you know, maybe one concrete place to start in there might be just on how you came up with your own indication strategy. You had a technology that you could point in so many directions, a field of, you know, competitor companies that you had to study and understand. Um, yeah. That might be a place to start as, as you yeah. laid yeah. down that strategy. How did you do yeah. it? Benita yeah. makes a great point. Like you could engineer almost anything. What do you choose? Yeah, I mean, it's it's not that dissimilar from picking a project in grad school, quite honestly, right? You wanna, at least that's the way we approach it. And perhaps, I mean, we'll still have to, this story has a long way to play out. We'll see where we, where we end up. But the approach we took at least, and it's very similar to the approach we took in founding Scribe, which is that we don't want to just build something that looks comparable. We don't want to, just build another genome editing play. We really want to try to build exceptionally differentiated technologies. And that kind of leads you very clearly into trying to take that into differentiated areas. So rather, you know, and our, our, our vision for the future of genetic medicine was specifically that editing within the human body 
is where we would all like to go. I think taking cells out of the human body and modifying them is an incredibly powerful technology and one that we will undeniably be using and continue to use um, for the foreseeable future. But I also think that that could be considered a stepping stone. And therefore, what we have been focused on is really trying to build for that end game where we can modify the underlying cause of disease within the human body in any cell type. Um, and our disease indications and our disease strategies kind of play into where we are, you know, where we have focused on building these technologies to work in a differentiated manner first. Um, and really trying to play to our advantages rather than just kind of going where, where, where there's a lot of excitement already. Yeah. Uh, and in the last few minutes, I mean, so you've been working on engineering new CAS systems. You know, the beauty of engineering is you can show the, uh, you know, the progression. Um, mm. And you've just announced that you raised $100 million Series B. Um, where do you go from here? Like, what, what are the next steps? What are the things, uh, what are the things on your mind for the future? And like, we could, let's talk like first near future, but then be fun to then right after that, uh, end with talking about where CRISPR takes us 10 years from now. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, near future for us is the continued development of the organization, um, as well as the technology base and the continued application of this across a number of uh, target areas, kind of like we just discussed. So we're really focused on, you know, we raised our, you know, the initial round um, back in 2018, this new round of funding. I'm really excited about helping us, helping it or having it enable us to continue to build an organization that can really live up to the promise and, and the needs of developing CRISPR technologies that will suit a wide array of diseases. Um, I think that we're gonna be really focused on uh, building additional pipeline or really focused on building pipeline from that first technology that we built, which we call X-Editing, which is just a highly evolved version of this molecule called CASX that we discovered in Jennifer's lab. Um, or I should say that was discovered by some of my colleagues in Jennifer's lab uh, a, a while ago. And specifically applying that to permanently treat the underlying cause of a number of diseases is something we're really excited about doing and kind of stepping those towards the clinic. And, and you know, just to remind people for uh, that are deep, deep in gene editing, I mean, uh, you know, for things where there is a clear genetic origin, you can just fix it in a sense, right? You could uh, uh, undo the deleterious mutation and yeah. have permanent permanent effect. Yeah, permanent. so I, 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 I want to, you know, I'm wary of the word fix because yeah, that's you know, people, fair. That's a good point. Yeah. But we can absolutely um, ameliorate that underlying cause of, of disease. We can, we can modify that underlying cause of disease. And, you know, we've been very focused on doing so in such a specific manner that we can actually, for example, remove a toxic allele or a toxic copy of your gene while leaving the non-toxic copy alone. Yeah. And, and that's an incredibly powerful thing to do because then yes, we can fix potentially the disease in the cells that are edited um, permanently at the correct dose in a way that has never been really possible before. 
Yeah. So that's even nearish term, at least in, in terms of the lab to the clinic. Uh, what is, you know, now, now we're getting sci-fi, but like, that's the fun part of this is yeah. what does 10 years look like? You know, the, it's a, it's a hackneyed adage, but I think it is very true that we overestimate what we can do in a year and underestimate what we can do in 10 years. So uh, maybe I encourage you to keep that in mind and, and tell us where we're going to be in 10 years. Yeah. I mean, and this is something that I am constantly, we're constantly kind of thinking about at Scribe because I really do think, so we have, we're at this nexus right now, you know, of DNA reading and DNA writing, um, of, of machine learning and AI and CRISPR technology that I think fundamentally will transform how biology looks 10 years from now. And what I'm most excited about is the fact that, yes, we understand certain monogenic diseases or diseases caused by a single gene. And there are some very clear mechanisms for targeting the underlying cause of disease in those instances and, and treating them. But what we now have the ability to do with CRISPR technology and what we're seeing ramp up at a, at a rate that I think is honestly unprecedented um, is the ability to query almost every single nucleotide of the genome at, at an important locus. And I think in the future, it will literally be every single nucleotide of the genome and fundamentally understand biology unlike we ever have before. And so 10 years from now, I think our, our understanding of disease, ideally disease, but our understanding of the genome will be so much greater that the tools and technologies that Scribe is building will be able to transform health in ways that we can't fundamentally, I think, envision. And I don't know what that means yet, yep. but like the, 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 the amount of knowledge we are about to gain yep. is I think what everyone should be incredibly excited about. Well, and where I think this gets really exciting is that uh, uh, I, we had Jennifer on our podcast and I mentioned this there that I feel like that her Nobel prize reminded me a lot of the sort of Shockley sort of transistor Nobel prize that transistors is just the beginning, just what you're doing now with CRISPR is just the beginning. Mm -hmm. You know, we're like, what, 50, 60 years out of that transistor Nobel Prize, 70 years. Uh, and just all of the engineering that came afterward goes from like a single transistor, like, you know, 10 billion in my pocket right now. Uh, mm -hmm. And how this multiplies up is really going to be, um, so I don't even have words to describe the scale. So even 10 years is one thing. And I think we go after disease where we are 60, 70 years, it's going to be quite an interesting future and future ride. Um, yeah. With that, Absolutely. maybe, yeah. yeah. Did you want to kick in there or should we open up to Q and A? Well, I was just, I was just going to say, and I think what goes with that is that, I mean, just 10 years, I think I can't think beyond 10 years, quite honestly. Um, I, I, but in 10 years, I think with this, the, the, the scale up that we're talking about now, and, and honestly, just our ability to do biology, um, will, you know, we can imagine it leading to the ability to modulate disease, you know, complex disease phenotypes in ways where we're, we're really pushing a small number of cells in very minute ways that are, that are actually not permanent, right? Yeah. We're talking a lot about permanent modifications, but in the future, I, I, I foresee things like CRISPR or really highly evolved versions of CRISPR like we're developing to be able to actually fine tune 
the underlying genetics of a disease cell, you know, of a disease cellular population to um, fundamentally, fundamentally transform how even some of these complex diseases are treated. And that, that's, yeah, <laughs> beyond 10 years, I, I can't, uh, I have trouble as well. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs>